from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex episode of the day. It's an honor to have Michelle Ashby on the RiderFlex podcast today. Uh, Michelle, how are you doing? I'm good, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk to you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. You know, your background and your career is I mean, super impressive, all the stuff you've done. So congratulations on everything. And I'm, I'm anxious to uh, learn more. So let's, uh, let, why don't we start with, you know, the early stuff? Why don't you talk to us about family and where you grew up and kind of, you know, uh, a little bit about you personally? Okay. Um, I'm a native of Denver, Colorado, and right. born at St. Anthony's Hospital, uh, which is kind of an anomaly, but I still have really good friends who, that are still here too. So um, I love Denver, and it's a great place to be because I find that it's super central. And it turned out for my career uh, that it was a great place to also be centralized and be living. Um, I was raised in a small family. We had three kids, um, Catholic, and went to Catholic schools all the way through. So I had a great education. And we won't talk about the religion part, okay? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Catholic school. All right, what did you, you folks do? Uh, my dad actually was in the trucking business. And okay. uh, he was a trucker when I was truck driver when I was a kid. And then he went into the office and was an office manager. He had his degree from DU in business management. And he has a brain like a computer, like an accountant. He's really, really smart. And my mom also had a degree, which is unusual for that era, right? Depression era um, as a teacher. But she was a stay-at-home mom and took care of us wild children. (laughs) He put (laughs) up with us. And where where are yeah. you with, with the siblings? Are you in the middle? Are you the oldest? Or where where are you? I'm the firstborn. Firstborn. Okay. Yeah. All right. Number one. And yeah. was there was there a big gap between you and uh, your your siblings or no? No. Well, three and a half years. A big okay. enough gra- gap that when I went to high school, they were never in high school with me. So I was already out by the time they started. That's a plus. Um, that's a plus. And, that's a plus for a senior not having to deal with a little junior or freshman sister or something, right? <laughs> well, they were. Tw- I had twin. They had mom and dad had twins. Oh, so uh, yeah. So I was in a lot of therapy because <laughs> after in my adult life, because I was the queen. Right, everything was result- revolved around me until the day that the twins came home. <laughs> right. And then I was like in the background because it took both of them to take care of the, of the twins, like change the diapers, feed them, all that kind of stuff. And um, so that, that was interesting because it impacted me personally. Right. Um, I, I can remember specifically thinking back at that age and remembering making that decision. Like I can take care of myself. I'm going to be independent. I can't drive and I can't go to school yet. But wait, you just wait. <laughs> and you ended up being exactly that by the way. Yeah. So talk to us about uh, how did you decide where to go to college and talk to us about those years and how did you decide what to major oh. in? Oh, that's really, that's a good question. Um, I went to St. Mary's Academy here okay. in Denver, which is an all-girls Catholic school. Okay. And um, the focus there was really 
all of us were expected to achieve great things. To give you an example, Condoleezza Rice was a year ahead of me. Gotcha. So that was the caliber <laughs> of young women that I was around. So I was completely mediocre, trust me, in this group of uh, stars and athletes. And I mean, they were way, way up here. Um, and I went to nursing school at Arapahoe Community College and dropped out the first semester um, because I'm a, I, I liked working and the nursing thing didn't work out for me. Okay. So um, instead of going back to school or shifting, I actually got a second job because I was working full time, going to school full time, okay. living at home during that time frame. And I love to work. Like the one thing about work is the payback. You get acknowledgement right away. You are paid for what you do. And that's a you know, that's an energetic symbol of recognition. Well, now, were your parents giving you pressure when you dropped out of nursing school? Were they like, hey, you need to finish no. college like right now? No, no. Okay. All right. No, no. They <laughs> were done telling me what to do. They just, you know, I, I, again, they expected me to be up and out. I was 18 and I should be out of the house. So they were more interested in like, oh, she's getting an apartment now. So she's, She's going to go learn what life is about. So that's what they were supporting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. And what was that first job? The first two jobs you had? Where, 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 yeah. Talk to us a little bit. Oh. Well, I started working when I was 12. So my first job was in a greenhouse. Oh, in a greenhouse. okay. Were you, were you, uh, that, that's interesting, by the way. I have some greenhouse experience myself. Um, oh, okay. And were you uh, having to deal with like like putting the tags in the potted plants or, or sweeping the sweeping mm-hmm. the floors or what were you doing? <laughs> Just budding the carnations and planting mums and uh, filling truckloads full of potted plants to go to you know King Supers and Safeway, um, all of that. So I'm- I worked during the summers and all of my breaks because um, St. Mary's Academy was had tuition and my parents said if you want to go there you have to pay for it. And you, so I got a scholarship. I got a working grant. I cleaned chalkboards every day after school and I worked during my breaks and I was hooked. You know, I like, I like all that. That's great. That's great. By the way, working in a greenhouse is not easy. I've done it. Uh, That's in my background. Uh, So I know, I know what that's like. (laughs) All right. So work work ethic for you obviously was not a problem, right? I mean, you, you, you were just, you were grinding it early on. Sounds like to me. Right. I was wired. I was totally wired for that. Definitely. <laughs> okay. And then walk us yeah. through some of, so walk us through the career now. Kind of walk us through, you know, some of those some of those early jobs and as you moved your way up. Go ahead. Sure. So, um I, after high school and after so I'm work at the time I was working in a retail plant store. Yep. So I continued to be involved in the you know, in the plant world throughout the early part of my career. Okay. And as I said, I, jo- I got a second job and that was in retail. So I loved retail, doing really well there. And I met my first husband. Okay. And so I ended up marrying very young. I was 20 when I married and started having children, had a couple of kids okay. in my 20s and um, stayed at home while I continued to work in the plant and you know, okay. um, floral industry, if you will. Okay. Um, throughout that whole thing until I had my first child. Then I stayed home for five years. Okay. And when I rejoined the workforce, I came back in and became a stockbroker. 
So what, how, that was a, how, how that, yeah, how, how did that happen? <laughs> well, I was looking for a job that I could get without a college degree. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and you don't have to have a college degree to be a stockbroker. What you have to have is a license. And so I reverted back to my, um, you know, my network um, from St. Mary's Academy. Okay. And a couple of the gals, their dads worked in the brokerage industry. I, I set up coffees with them and asked them what I needed to do. How does this work? And one of them said, um, listen, we'll, we'll sponsor you and you can go ahead and take the test. Great. We're not going to offer you a job, but we will sponsor you. Now, this is some, at a time when this was back in 1983 at a time when a lot of firms were trying to meet their quotas because we had the equal opportunity thing was really pushing okay. on a lot of industries, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, and at the same time, I was totally aware of the fact that most women who became stockbrokers really had to kind of do their time as a secretary or working in the back office before they were deemed good enough to be allowed to take the test <laughs> wow. and to get their license and being the independent kind of, you know, uh, chip on my shoulder kind of person that I, I am, I figured out a way to go around that. That's great. And so I went and studied for the test. So they have these cram, you know, sessions that you can take just to figure out how to pass the test. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Okay. Passed the test the first time, went and did a bunch of interviews, 12 interviews. I had four offers. And wow. so I was able Congra to Congratulations. Pick. Okay. Thank you. I was able to pick what, what I wanted. And also back in the day, in that time frame, the penny stock market was really hot and really hot in Denver. And so um, there were a lot of small firms, like you may have heard of Blinder Robinson. Uh, no, it, no. Does, it doesn't ring a bell to you. <laughs> anyway, there were some pretty Ugh. infamous group characters here in that in that in that world. So there were all, there were a lot of opportunities. And as I said, um, because the companies were trying to meet their quotas, um, they were looking for women to okay. um, to come in and work. Yeah. So I got to pick my where I went, and I ended up in a penny firm uh, called J.W. Gantt. Okay. Um, and uh, worked within, um, there was a small group of us within this firm, and there were like seven that worked together as a team. And so there were two gentlemen that ran our team, and um, they were the people who really helped me That's in great. that world. That's great. You must have been great yeah. with num numbers, obviously. Some numbers, math, and things like that, and analysis, you were just super, super fast at, I'm guessing. Yep, I got my dad's brains in that regard, so that that helped me out a lot. Yeah. Okay. Did. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. So, so then you're you start moving up. Uh, you start kind of getting promotions uh, and so forth. Walk, walk us through how, and I think this is great for the listeners. I was. Yep. I was the I was the worst stockbroker ever. <laughs> like, like um, my rookie year was pathetic. And I'm so blessed that the guys held on to me, that they just kept, they saw something in me and kept encouraging me and training me. But here's what happens. As a rookie broker, you are expected to make 100 calls a day, cold calls. Great experience. It's the worst thing you can ever do. Mm -hmm. um, and um, they had a bunch of clients and accounts that were what they called dead accounts. 
and they would give them to the rookies and say, call these people and get another 10 grand out of them, you know, get them to buy some stock. So I had a bunch of these accounts and a lot of them had penny mining stocks in their account. That's how you got got tied to to, to the mining. Okay. I was wondering on your profile. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. All right. No, that's good. Yeah, that's right. So in talking to these clients, they'd say, hey, well, um, you know, I want to know what's happening with ABC Gold Company. And I would say, I don't know what's happening with ABC Gold Company, but I will call them and I will call you back. So I call the president of the company and get an update and then call the client back and started building relationships with clients. So although it looked like I was a bad broker in the beginning, I was really taking the time to build relationships and specialize and, you know, really get myself in an area because I wanted to be one of the best top 10 brokers in the mining sector in the country. That was my goal. So that's where I headed. And I learned so much from these clients because people who invest in mining stocks typically are gold bugs and they have a different philosophy about how the economy works. Um, you know, some of them could be called conspiracy theorists and that type of thing. Um, and I was attracted to that and I really enjoyed it and decided that's where I was going to focus. Okay. All right. By the way, relationships have come up a couple of times. I just want to pause for the listeners in case the listeners didn't notice it. The relationships that you had in college gave you doorways into people to get the stockbroker job. And then the relationships that you built while you were there opened up doors into the mining industry, right? I mean, relationships, you've mentioned Mm -hmm. it a couple of times right here. And I just want to Mm -hmm. emphasize for the listeners, it's critical. It's critical. If you're smart, that's cool. If you work really hard, that's cool. But it's also about relationships. (laughs) It is. And I think that's a really good point to bring up, Steve, especially if your listeners are, you know, in the millennial or right. the younger groups that are, you know, getting sucked into the, you know, um, you know, the, the world online, yes. as opposed to interacting with, uh, with people in person, <laughs> right. you know, it's, it's really the essence of, of how to succeed. It's not what you know, it's who you know. It really is. It's how business is done. I try to express that to my my 30 and 25-year-old sons all the time. I'm like, you know, business is done face-to-face in relationships and, uh, you know, don't don't text me. Just call me. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Anyways. Yeah, then once you have the relationship, you can text and do all that stuff all you want. Right. But you have to take the time to to do the, to do the relationship. So, yeah. So that's how I got into the brokerage thing. Then I became one of the top brokers in mining recognized as a speaker and I got lots of referrals and I no longer had to cold call because my reputation then drove the business toward me. You know, people knew who I was and they wanted to work with the best. And so they would contact me. Gotcha. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Okay. All right. And you're, you're living in Colorado this whole time. I'm living in Colorado this whole time. I'm traveling up to Canada quite a bit because a lot of the uh, mining companies that are publicly traded are um, in Toronto and Vancouver and their projects are all over the world. But, um, but yeah, I'm staying mostly in Colorado and um, along the way uh, realized that there was a need and opportunity where um, 
the to form a trade association for the gold mining industry and market them to the investors. And so I founded the Denver Gold Group and that started in about 1988 and we became official in 1989 and I was there for 18 years. Wow. And my Rolodex then yeah. blew up. Blew up. <laughs> Your Rolodex blew up. It blew up. Now now let me ask yeah. real, real quick for the, for the people just so they understand. So you thought you saw a need. You didn't think investors were paying were paying attention to the mining group in, in Colorado, or why was there a need there? Well, here's the thing: because I would keep in touch with the CEOs of companies as an I was a mining analyst, so okay. Okay. I was constantly talking to them and getting updates on their companies. They were complaining that they were having a hard time attracting capital. Interesting. To themselves. And this is in in Denver and in the United States. Okay. At the time, Denver had about 85 small uh, to medium sized mining companies based here. I believe. But it. when yep. I would go to Canada. Yeah. When I go to Canada, they had no problem raising money. But I could see the difference because I am the third party. I'm the observer. Right. And I, I'm at an arm's length and I can see, wait a second. The Canadians know how to market themselves. They're putting together beautiful brochures that they can mail to you. They're put, you know, they're showing up at conferences. They're, you know, they're telling their story. They're harassing people right and left, you know, and they're getting the capital. Whereas when I would call one of my local guys and say, I need info on you, they would send me a dog-eared 10K with coffee stains on it two weeks later. (laughs) And they thought that was doing me a huge favor. They didn't, they didn't understand The difference, right? And the other difference was that in Canada, there was a collegiality. In other words, Mm. competing companies knew each other and they would show up at things together and they, you know, it worked. Whereas in Denver, they were very competitive and secretive and Mm. siloed themselves from each other. So the first step was really to get them to see that they could benefit from coming together as a group. So I put together a retreat in Aspen okay. and um, I brought in a facilitator to, to run it. And I had like 15 CEOs that I had um, convinced to come up and awesome. sit in a room together and talk about this. And how, how did so you the fund facilitator, it? Can, can I ask you how you, how did you, I fund it? Yeah. How'd you fund this? Did you go ahead? They paid for it. They, so I went to each one of them and did my pitch and said, it's 1500 bucks a piece to come. And that covers your, you know, your everything, your hotel. I'll take care of all the logistics. You just have to show up. I'll take care. I'll I'll plan it and take care of the logistics and get it organized for you. But you're, you're going to, you're going to pay for the, the bulk of the cost here. And they had to, okay, so yep. so there wasn't a lot of upfront startup costs for you to get this foundation going, right? Not, not okay, great, great. And, and, yeah. and, and were you doing that while you were working your full-time job or you, okay, all right? Yeah. All right, got it, got yes, it. Yes, okay. I was still managing. I had a book. I had about 250 clients as a stockbroker, oh, wow. so that's right. what was paying the bill. And you yeah. told your and you told your husband at the time or your family at the time, like, oh, by the way, I'm also going to do this other thing because I'm not busy enough already. <laughs> oh, I forgot to mention, I got divorced when I became a stockbroker. Oh, okay. So I was All a right. single parent. Of, of, <laughs> I was a single parent of two kids with oh. a full time job, and oh. then added another job. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing. I'm laughing. I, you know, you just got to let that sink in. People that have done something like that can understand, but people that have it don't, don't get it, right? Like you're managing. And by the way, how old were the kids when you started the foundation? Were they teenagers or where were they? Were, were they? Uh, when I started the Denver Gold Group, um, let's see, they would have been about 10 and 8, somewhere in so, there. So, okay, yeah. So, super busy at home, full-time job. Yeah. Now I'm going to start the Denver Gold Group. Wow. All right. Kudos. I'm already, you already have ultra respect for me right now. <laughs> <'Cause you're> doing, <laughs> all right. So, so you got this going. You got this group going. And in your mind, were you thinking, I can build more relationships from these guys coming in and they're going to be my clients or this foundation can eventually mm-hmm. make, make money? Or what, what was the, your end goal there? Or not end goal, but what my- was the primary objective, I guess, is the question. Okay, so let's break it down a little bit. As a single mom of two kids, as a stockbroker, I start at zero every month. It was a 100% commission job. Oh, wow, all right. Uh huh. Yeah, <laughs> and um, also, so if you're not churning and burning those accounts, you're not making commissions. And I was an expert in investment in mining stocks. So when people invested, they invested long-term. They weren't okay. They weren't there to get in and out. Okay. And that meant that I had to bring in new business constantly. Mm, I see. Okay. And right. I'm also at, at, the, at the mercy of the price of gold, okay. which goes up and down. So the fluctuation can, can be hugely positive or it can be very negative. Gotcha. So I wanted something that paid a salary. So I was, in, I was, I was willing to go build the entity that would actually be able to pay my salary. Awesome. Love it. Um, but it Love took it. years. It oh, took I... years. <laughs> That's the next big note for the listeners. Don't get fooled by some yeah. special you see on TV. Like you're going to have an idea and you're going to start a business and be a millionaire in 12 months. Like it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, no. Okay. I carried, I would, I remember carrying uh, paychecks, pay stubs in my uh, paychecks in my pocket for three months because we didn't have money to pay me. And then I went through a whole bunch of gender stuff where um, after I got it up and running, where the board uh, decided to bring in one of their cronies who just retired from a big mining company to take the role of executive director and pay them twice as much as they had paid me. Wait, 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 so, wait, wait, wait. Um, did you, did you, so eventually somewhere in there, how did you lose control? How did you lose equity control there? How does that work? Oh, okay. So it's a trade association. It's a 501c6, which means that the membership has, has the ownership. I I had no ownership. Okay. All right. So then the members, what, vote on stuff? And then they're like, hey, we want this other. Well, that's another thing where most of those organizations, the board itself decides. So Mm -hmm. um, the board Mm -hmm. of directors were really the people who made those decisions on compensation as well as who had the role. But okay, okay. what I did, I did have, I had, I had a lot of people who supported me and were cheerleading for me. Okay. And one of my female mentors said, I've got an attorney I'm going to introduce you to. All and right. it just so happened to be the first uh, state attorney general female in the state of Colorado. And I went and sat down with her and she said, Oh, this is not a problem, Michelle. I'm going to write <laughs> one letter. And when they see my, the, the stamp on my letterhead, they're going to, you know what, their pants and it'll be fine. So <laughs> Love it. Love I it. just need to know that you want to keep it. If you want to keep the job, I'll go do it. So she okay. wrote the letter and sent it to them. And so the outcome was that I got the pay and he got the title of executive director. 
And I became managing director, but I got a raise because I doubled my salary because they had to pay me his salary. Okay. um, Equal opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, And later on, I renamed myself CEO. So, um, so I kept it. Yeah. And then, and then do you still have your regular job with this now or, or, or not? Are you doing both jobs? Still? I had my regular job for about the first five years. Okay. All right. But eventually, yeah. eventually the Denver gold group was paying enough to, that was your job. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That became my, that became my primary source of income. And then I developed, so I developed these conferences that were private by invitation only for institutional investors. So then my Rolodex was made up of CEOs of all the producing gold mining companies in the world that are publicly traded okay. and their largest investors. Okay. And okay. we would do these private meetings in the United States, in Denver, these conferences. And then I developed one that um, we, we did in Switzerland. So I was in Europe as well as in, as in the United States because there's a lot of money and a lot of investors in Europe. Uh, that love gold. And so it made total sense to develop that. Now in, in this industry in the late eighties and early nineties, I mean, was this like good old boys club, like just all, all all dudes when you walk in the room, (laughs) I mean, all dudes. Yeah. So I'm in two, (laughs) I was in two male dominated industries. I was in finance and mining and like my first mining conference I went to, there were 600 guys and me. I was the only woman that wasn't serving drinks. Oh, yeah. That is, wow. I mean, that takes guts and, and a lot of uh, determination and a lot of bravery. I could use all kinds of words. <laughs> wow. And not to mention, you, curi- go ahead. How about curiosity? I mean, yeah. I mean, some of those, some of those guys had to be saying, saying they're, they're looking at you like, wait a minute. She started this whole thing, <laughs> right? Oh, they still say, they still say that. They still go, oh, really? That's she did that. Wow, right? that's so yeah. good. That is great. Now, now I can. It's all tying together for me, right? So now, now we can walk into why. Probably, I think it's a good time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but now maybe you can transition into why you started Ace Consulting because of all mm-hmm. this. All, all this, you, 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 you saw all this in, a, in an industry where there's not enough women involved and there's not a focus on it and all these things, which kind of, of those years of experiencing all that led you right into starting Ace Consulting. Is that accurate? Yes, I did have a couple of stops along the way. Okay. So I left the trade association in 2005 because I didn't have ownership, which is what you picked up on. Okay. I was making a lot of money for a lot of people and I was doing okay. <sighs> making other people, um, but making other people time, rich, making other people rich. I was exactly, <laughs> but I, I wanted to make more money myself so I could give more away. Okay. In the process of that 18 years that I was there, when my daughter, my son and daughter were growing up, my daughter was diagnosed with cancer when she was 18 and she passed away when she was 19 Mm. and I formed a foundation to raise money for research Mm. for the type of cancer she had and um, realized that if I could write bigger checks myself, I could move it faster. So I put that out there as my intention and it came around so quickly. It's that when I look back, it looks easy, but I know it was really difficult when I did it. So I left my cushy job that I could have been there, you know, until the day I wanted to leave. 
um, and started over in the basement of my house with a computer and a filing cabinet and um, took that model I built of all these individual, you know, these private conferences. And I went global and I went into oil and gas and alternative energy and basic metals and, you know, more a broader, a broader swath of resources. And my first year revenues were over $2 million. Is that, is so, that uh, on your profile? That's mine LLC. Is that what that is? Yeah. Okay. That's what that is. I see. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, exactly. How, what was your revenue? The, what'd you say? The first over 2 million the first year. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So now mm-hmm. you've already, now you've already, you've already, you're on to building your second company. <laughs> uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, so I paid off all, I paid off the house. I paid, put a bunch of money in the bank. We had a great run for about eight years. Awesome. Um, because while everybody else was suffering from the, the great depression, the metals what? prices were going through the roof. And we were doing amazingly. And so my revenue streams, my revenues were between two and $4 million for eight years. And then we're seven. And then the resource markets topped and started to, to correct. And then the writing was on the wall. And okay. I've been around enough to know like these trends of up and down. And I was like, I am not, I'm not going to leave my winnings on the table. I'm okay. going to take them. And uh, so I closed mine LLC, which is, okay. That's a whole nother conversation about the, the, what it takes to close a business. It's right. easy to start one in my mind. It's way harder to close it. That's a great um, point. That's a great I, point. We should, we should do another podcast on that because I haven't talked about that topic on any of the podcasts. And you're right. That's a whole separate deal. How many, how many employees did you, you have? I had four. Okay. All right. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a lot, but it was still, yeah. it was still heart wrenching. Mm, um, right. Anyway, right. so I, I quit that and then I went and got a job and worked for somebody else for two years as a consultant. Was that difficult? Um, I was, was that, ready. Was that, was that difficult after, after running your own thing all those years, being an employee? Was that like, oh, this sucks? Uh, I mean. Well, you know, Steve, I was so exhausted. I don't know about you, but oh, I, and I think I, maybe other entrepreneurs that oh, maybe have shared that with you is oh, where oh, yes. they just, you know, and <laughs> I, I, and I intentionally, I was like, I'm going to go work for somebody else for two years and let them have the headache of making payroll and, you know, so-and-so All doesn't want to do this and blah, blah, blah. I always people tell management. I, I always tell people, I always tell people, Michelle, I always say, look, it's easy to just go get a W2 job. <laughs> That's easy. I mean, I, I hate yeah. to bust, I hate to bust anybody's bubble out there, but it's easy to just go be an employee. I mean, unemployment's like, you know, four, 4% or something. So just going to get a job is no big deal. You can go do that and you can just be an employee and you can get off work at five o'clock and you can come home and you can watch your little TV shows and not stress out about anything and get up the next day and go to work. That's easy. Uh, it's a whole uh-huh. different ball game to be a business owner. Uh, so, yeah, it is. All, all right. So, yep. you, so that you, was my, that was my break was to go okay. work for somebody else. And <laughs> I did that for two years. Yeah. Okay. So, so now we can start talking about the whole, where the go board stuff comes into yeah, play. Go, go for it. I was, I was invited to my first board of directors in 2005 and it happened to coincide. Thank you. It happened to coincide with my departure from the Denver gold group. And, um, I had no idea it was coming. I didn't ask for it. I was invited and I have been invited to every board that I've been on. So, you know, so far, um, yeah. So, so anyway, so fast forward to 2016 
And as you identified, I was in two male dominated industries for 30 years. Yep. And my mentors pri were men, basically. I think I had the one I mentioned, uh, female, but mm -hmm. the rest of them were men. And I have to tell you that they supported me. They educated me. Good. They included me. They were like, come on, Michelle. I'd be like, what's it like to be in an underground mine? Well, let's, let's go on a <laughs> mine tour and we'll invite you. And they take me and, you know, and they were like my big brothers. Like they were protective of me. They That's were, cool. um, very respectful. Right. I just had the best, you know, awesome. did I have guys that didn't like me or like what I was doing? Of right. course. Yeah. I mean, I had, I call them my, I had my haters, but men, <laughs> everybody, unlike, <laughs> yeah, men, unlike women are objective and they'll tell you and they would take me to lunch and go, Hey, Michelle, I don't like you doing what you're doing. So stop it. I'd go, well, I don't want to stop it. So let's just call it, you know, what it call a thing, a thing. We don't have to like each other and we'd go our separate ways, you know, so and that's cool. Um, uh, and I can, I can relate to that. Yep. So my male mentors, I watched them climb the corporate ladder, yep. get on three or four boards, retire out there and play golf. Yeah, and they're yeah. making, you know, they're working part-time because mm -hmm. the board meetings are only quarterly. They're traveling around to go to their board meetings. They're making half a million a year. They got stock options. And that's where I thought I was headed. You I was like, that, that's my that was, future. That was your goal. And by the way, let me take a quick pause right there because a lot of listeners probably don't know this. You know, for, uh, I, don't know if, I, don't, I don't know if most is the right word, but uh, for most medium to large size companies, if you're on the board, you're going to be compensated in some way whether it's equity plus some compensation or whatever, there's, there's ways to make money being on a board for medium to large mm -hmm. size companies. Now, if you're on the advisory board for RiderFlex, you're just volunteering. But if you're on the board, for, <laughs> if you're on the board for, for uh, you know, you know, bigger companies, yeah, you can make money. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and it's a great uh, goal uh, as you get older and more senior in your career, it's a great way to, like you said, be involved part-time, make a little money, be able mm -hmm. to play golf and go fishing. So I totally understand your your objective and your goal there. Like, okay, I want to do that too, right? So go ahead. Right, right, yeah. So throughout my career, while I was working full-time, I did sit on about five boards. Um, right. And I still am on, t I'm on two right now. So I've been on six, six corporate boards um, to date. So I ended up with what they call a portfolio, which is a fancy word for your, I don't know, you got a bunch of them. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I was like, okay, it's time for me to go get on three or four boards and do my thing and go skiing. Cause that's what I want. I want to do part-time. Okay. And um, along the way, this was in 2016, there was a lot of media coverage about the fact that there weren't enough women on boards. And mm -hmm. I was a little baffled, to be honest with you, because I assumed that there were other women like me who were also, you know, very active in their own industries and very recognized and being invited. And so I started asking questions. And because I really didn't know a lot of women in business mm -hmm. and I traveled so much during my career, my Rolodex in Denver was pretty awful. I decided to intentionally meet a bunch of women who meet women who are leaders in the Denver area 
and men as well, because I was building my Rolodex over again. And so I had about 200 meetings with uh, women, women over 18 months. Wow. Okay. All right. And you're reaching out to them. And and when you're reaching out to them, you're you're saying, Hey, I just want to connect because, uh, Mm -hmm. or, or or did you, so-and-so told me I should know you. All right. And and did you have in your mind at the time that you wanted to start this ACE consulting training or that wasn't really, that wasn't planted in your head yet? Okay. Right. No, the last thing I wanted to do was start another company. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. But you're having these relationships, yeah. you're meeting these awesome women, you're, you're, you're kind of doing your thing. All right, go ahead. Yes. And they are blowing my socks off. And yeah. what I realized is through the, here are the three questions I asked them. Why aren't there more women on boards? Why aren't you on a board? And Tell me what happened in your career. Kind of like what you're doing here with me mm-hmm. is getting a sense of who I am and my background and yep. what I've accomplished. Yep. And through those conversations, I was just like, I couldn't believe it. But I also, you know, like I had this file of, of notes that I kept. And then the file, I called it super women because <laughs> the competency levels were huge. And yet they're confidence in some regards uh, was not matching their competence uh, and I could see gaps mm, that they had okay. um, around why did I get on a board and they didn't get on a board that's what I was looking at um, but still I wasn't at the point where I was saying I'm going to go teach anybody but, you, but you, probably, you probably met people and you were probably thinking man Sally would be great for ABC board uh-huh. like you're probably already connecting those dots, I'm guessing. Okay. Yeah. What I did was I decided, Hey, I, I, it's fine for me to get myself on a board, but I should probably mm-hmm. help someone else. Okay. That might be nice. You All know? Right. Yep. So I, I got in touch with the Colorado women's chamber and they had a, okay. an, a, a, a thing called board bound and I oh. became a mentor. They assigned me a mentee okay. and we worked together for a year. And through that process, I realized, you know, and she did too. She was like, you're really good at this, you know? And um, so that was kind of this planting the seeds uh, of okay. right. maybe I yeah. could teach. Okay. Um, I go back to my analytical self and I start looking up online. How many programs are out there for women only? Let me guess. Hmm. None. <laughs> two. There was two in the country. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that I found that were of, you know, caliber, okay. Harvard and Kellogg. Wow. And oh, by the way, when you fill out the application, you have to um, be in the C-suite of a significant company, not your own little, no, you had to be a CEO. Well, that doesn't, okay, well, that doesn't make sense because most of the time, if you are Mm -hmm. the CEO of a company, you're already on the board. (laughs) Right. And you are tapped for, I mean, all these female CEOs, because there's only 4% in the Fortune 500 are women. Is that still, um, the, is that still the stat today? Is that the stat today? I Well, it might be oh. a little bit different, but it's pretty darn close. There are more oh, wow. CEOs named John than there are <laughs> female CEOs in the Fortune 500. That's really embarrassing for us to say as a country. I mean, really, that's that's embarrassing. It's sad. Be embarrassing. I don't know what else, what other word I can use. Okay. I didn't, yeah. I actually did not know that was the stat. Wow. That's a, holy cow. All right. So you see this, you see this need and you're like, well, okay. I see, I see an opportunity. I, yeah. I, I can give back. I can help. I'm still I can going there. All right. All right. Yeah. I'm still going there. And I also belong to a peer advisory group. So I am a member of a group that we meet once a month. 
Um, hopefully a lot of your listeners are parts of mastermind groups or something that they They do for themselves. Um, and what I like to say is that we work on our business during that time every month, as opposed to in our business. So true. Um, yep. Yes. As well as getting, you know, input from people who are not even close to our industry and can see us from afar. Uh, So one of my, I agree. Can I just take a pause for the listeners? I think that's a great tip that you just gave right there. And I want to emphasize it. If you're a business owner or CEO, even if it's a small company, whether it's mm-hmm. YPO or entrepreneurs organization or whatever. I mean, there's, there's mm-hmm. lots of different groups you can join. It is important mm-hmm. to be involved in some kind of group like that because, and you said it perfectly. I haven't heard it put in those words, but it, it will force you to lift your head up a little bit and work on your business instead of in your business in the weeds. Um, great point. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to emphasize mm-hmm. what you said there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's that. I, I mean, that's the whole point is right. How do I, I, the value that we're doing here is to share our wisdom and our right. experiences so that hopefully mm-hmm. that helps someone else. Exactly. Um, anyway, one of my peers said to me, cause we, uh, we were talking about our topics and I called this my woman thing. <laughs> and he goes, tell me about the woman thing. <laughs> and so I started talking about these interviews and these women and there's not enough women. And he's like, Oh my gosh, you like light up when you talk about that. You Uh, should do something about that. Okay. And, um, that turned, that turned the switch on. Okay. Because then the question in my head went, if I were going to do something about this, what would it look like? Okay. And that's where it just took, it, it took form. I literally woke up in the middle of the night, could not sleep. I got a legal pad and I sat down all night long. I wrote everything I wrote, you know, what's my ideal client? What's the structure? How much is it going to cost? How do I help them get in the boardroom? What's in the curriculum? What does it look like? You know, I mean, I wrote the whole thing. And if I pulled that um, notebook out today, it would be everything that I've been, that I've accomplished and actually turned into action. So it's, it's a, it's a real deal. And now, right, tell us about Al. So now, as of today, give us the give us the the three minute overview. Uh, give us give, give us yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, I formed Ace LLC to train a thousand women to get ready for corporate boards. I decided that if it's going to take seventy years to get to parity, that we need to speed the process up. So that's <sighs> the main reason that I decided to train an army of women and help them get there. So to date, I have trained women in the U.S. and in Canada. In 2018 and 2019, we have um, 62 graduates uh, awesome. so far. Awesome. And of those graduates, I have two more announcements. So we have 20 women on 22 boards. What? So far. Since, you, since you started the company, you already you already. That's yep. great. Okay. Congratulations. Yeah. That's huge. That's big. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. That's got to make Thank you, feel you good, right? I mean, that makes you feel, and I'm guessing there, there's no yeah. extra, there's no extra bonus to ACE consulting if they actually get on a board. I'm just no. guessing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, no. they pay, so they, no. they pay for, they pay for the class and, and then, you know, right. hope, hopefully they get on board. Wow. That's very gratifying yeah. to know that you've, man, that's huge. Congratulations. Thank I, you. I, yeah. That's and, awesome. And, and it's a very short class. It's an intense eight weeks. We do okay. a retreat for four days, then they have home study, and then 
we do a final workshop and they graduate and they walk out with a plan, all the tools they need and uh, the swagger that it takes <laughs> to be a director. And let me, okay, can I ask some <laughs> questions around the class? Now, eight weeks, um, how do they find time to do that if they're f- employed full time? How does that work? Well, we're women. We do everything, right? We can do it all. Um, uh, it's structured in a way so that the majority of the work is done in the retreat. Um, so that's the four days at the beginning. And then it's about three or four hours of homework per week I see. while they're on the in-between okay. and then one full day in the workshop. And then they're also, I forgot to mention, we do have a certification. Um, so they are, um, they take an exam that okay. is issued by an affiliate company okay. called Corporate Directors International. Okay. And that is the only certification in the country for men or women. Wow. Okay. So you can do this while you're working. It is possible. Yes. Affordable. I'm hoping it's affordable. Like, you, you, do you have to be making $200,000 a year to be able to pay for this or, or, or not? <laughs> <laughs> you, well, it's. I, you know, it's reasonably priced in my mind because this is a uh, very specialized training. Okay. So it's, uh, it runs about $8,000 for okay. the training and the certification. And that includes all the materials, the retreat, all of it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you have to pay, do you have to pay all up front? Can I, can I send you installments? No. <laughs> yeah. I have payment plans. Okay. That's I good to know. I was, I was, I was kind of joking, but yeah. that's actually good to know. That's good to know. Okay. Very good. Uh-huh. Um, all right. Yeah. And sometimes people get their company to pay for it. There you go. You you stole my next question. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Yeah, perfect. So, yeah, they can get the company to pay for it. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because it's leadership training, you know. So um, what I tell women is, you know, if the men in your company are getting sponsored to go off and do trainings other places, this is completely legitimate for you to request uh, for yourself. Um, Have you ever kicked anybody out? Have you, have you ever said, have you ever said, have, have you ever said, Sally, listen, no, yes. you just, you just can't know. No, <laughs> I have, I have actually quite a process um, of qualifying women. And uh, there have been a few times where I have, have turned away people before they get, got in the class. Before they got in the yeah. class. Okay. All right. Do they get yeah. their money? Do they get their money back? They hadn't paid yet. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because the reality is, I mean, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm keeping it casual here, but it's, it's true, right? I'm sure that some people are going to call you and you're going to meet them and you're going to be like, you don't need to be on a board. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, not, right. a, and that's yeah. not, and that's not a female male thing. I'm just talking in general. Some people no. just aren't qualified, period. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's yeah, that, what's that absolutely. Con- what's, there are. What's a, yeah. What's that conversation look like? Oh, never mind. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> but um, so you're next. All right. So to find you, let's walk into how do I make contact? How do I find you? When's the next class? Talk about some of that. Okay. Um, the easiest way to find me is a website. So it's Consulting. All right. And um, my email is there and there's a lot of information about the class, the in-person class. I have developed an online class as well, which is much more reasonably priced. It's at uh, $595 and it's like basic training. So it has some of the critical parts of the of the certification program I have, but it is not certified. I see. But they could put it on their profile that they took the class. Yes. Okay. That's yeah. That's awesome. They can do that. Right. And 
Yeah, that's good. And then my next classes are coming up in the spring of 2020. Um, I'll be doing a class in the Denver area and one in Toronto. Okay, awesome. All right, and it's not too late to sign up? You're not... No, I'm taking registrations right now, and I'm actually running um, an early bird discount till the end of the year for a $500 discount. And so if they get that information to me uh, before December 31st, they get a little break. Very good. Okay. I know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to ask a couple more questions. I know we're almost out of time. If we don't stop right, okay. we don't stop right at three. Is that Do I got five more minutes? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm good. Okay. Yeah. So a couple of questions here real fast. So having dealt with, having been a CEO myself and a president of a, of a, of a few companies and dealt with boards, um, I wanted to, I wanted to give you what my, if you brought me in as a guest speaker and you said, Steve, what's your advice for for, for being on a board? I, you, I, I thought I'd tell you what I would, what I would say. I'm wondering if this awesome. is, I wonder if, I wonder if this is in your training. My key uh, thing to emphasize them would be, listen, provide value just provide value and don't and make sure the value is real don't just come don't just go to the board meetings because it's cool to hang out at dinner the night before and hang out with your buddies and then not look at the material i sent you ahead of time and then come to the board meeting and ask me questions that's already in the material because you didn't look at it and, and, and then just ask a couple of questions because it, you need to make it look like you're participating in the meeting when you're really not, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, don't, don't be that kind of board member, you know, be, be the kind of board member that, that challenges in a good way, the CEO and offers them really good insight and advice and makes the CEO walk away and go, wow, that is a good point from Steve. You know, I, Hmm. I should, I should, we should think about doing that. Like, that's a great point you brought up. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's a good board member. And I've, and, and out of mm-hmm. all the boards I've dealt with, I, I'll just tell you 80% of them are not like that. 80% of the board members are not like that. And usually I always knew when I went to a board meeting, I'd be like, okay, Mary and John, I know, I know I got to be prepared for Mary and John because they're going to, they're going to challenge me and I better be ready. And they're the ones that made me a better CEO. And so, mm. anyway, I'm rambling a little bit, but that, that would be my advice. I don't know if you want to mm-hmm. comment on any of that. <laughs> well, I think you are spot on. And, um, you know, I hear this a lot from other board members. I've been very fortunate in all the boards that I've been on where I feel like, um, you know, the other members of the board have been pretty active. But I, I could cite some situations where that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, and I could even admittedly say that I've come to board meetings without being as prepared as I needed to be because I was working and running my own business at the same time. And it comes down to a time constraint. Um, but, you know, the the governance issues have increased so dramatically, especially mm-hmm. if you're in a public company board, as to your, um, you know, your, your risks as a board member are pretty high. So you dang well better come together. And there's so much more scrutiny, right? Um, Mm. Shareholder activists are watching. Um, You know, there's so much more information in the public domain that people understand uh, what goes on or what should happen in a board meeting. So, um, but what I really like about what you said in your, you know, sharing (laughs) with us. No, well, the fact that you were like acknowledging, wait a second. 
the better board members were the ones who actually did challenge me. Yes. Because that's, that's a, that's a difficult thing with the board, especially in the beginning when you're a new member to, you know, approach the CEO and say, you know, uh, 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 uh. yeah, you know, you, it, it, it takes a while yep. to build those relationships. Um, and again, we use that word to have, be a trusted advisor and focus on that. We're not talking gender. We're talking about the issues at hand. Exactly. And that, that's, yeah, that's the way I've always approached my business is like, I'm a business nerd and I can talk to you all day long about business because I love it so much. Right. And I think that's the way I go at things. And I, that makes sense, right? I, re I really love what, what you're doing. And I just want to tell you how it's affected me um, just recently. And I really, this is super genuine. Like I really mean what I'm about to tell you. So, you know, even I think I'm hoping that there's not a lot of companies out there that, that purposely say, I'm going to make my board member all guys and, and I'm never going to have a, a woman on my board. Like, Maybe there are some companies like that, but I gotta hope not, or at least I hope that's a very, very, very small percentage. And shame on them if there are. What I think happens more often is what happened to me <laughs> when I started Riderflex. I was like, "Oh, I need some, I need some advisory board members because I, I need some help." And so I just like called all the people I knew, which all happened to be guys. <laughs> and so the next thing I knew, I got like eight advisory board members on my website, and they're all dudes, and they're all like fifty-five-year-old, you know, white guys. And, 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 and as I was developing it I, at the time, all I cared about was, man, who can I get to? Oh, Tony will be on my board. Let me call Tony. Let me call Scott. Let me call Cliff. You know, I'm just calling the guys that are in my network. Like I wasn't even really thinking about it. And, and, and then, you know, recently somebody pinged my website. We were recruiting a female executive for a CEO role. Our firm, RiderFlex was recruiting, recruiting somebody, you know, for our client. And she, she challenged me. She said, Hey, she said, by the way, you know, your advisory board members all like middle-aged white guys. Right. And I, and I like, and I, <laughs> I really, and I'm like, Oh my God, it, it is like, and then I, then all of a sudden I was embarrassed and I'm like, Oh my God, it is. And then, and then somebody gave me your name and I saw what you were doing. And then I immediately told my team, I'm like, okay, we're going we're gonna, to, this has got to be fixed right now. Like we got to work on fixing this. And, and uh, anyway, my point on this rant is, I'm thinking some people are like are like us, where they just kind of got started, and the next thing they knew, they had all guys on their board on their board, and they and they they need to call time out and be conscious of what they're doing, and and really watch at first, like, hey, be, make sure you have a diversity focus and you're structured in how you put the board together, or you could end up like me, and you can mm -hmm. just kind of run really fast. And the next thing you know, you got all guys on your board. That's what happened to me, and now I'm a hell of a lot more conscious about it, especially after studying your profile. <laughs> and so we're working to fix it. Anyway, I just wanted to tell you that, that you've already had an effect on me and we're already working to correct uh, okay. some of that. So, um, and, well, good. Thank you for your, for your, um, you know, for being authentic around that. Oh, um, yeah. I think that's super powerful for you to say that as a successful businessman, because, you know, I could say it all day long, but it wouldn't be heard. And I agree with everything you said. To me, it makes total sense. And I say that to women. I'm like, you know, when they get kind of where they're pushed, this isn't about man bashing at all. Yeah. And no, I, you no, know, no. I love working in men world, men's world. And that's where the power and the money is. So that's where I trained yeah. myself to be successful. But 
it's it's really um, you know it's really great that you are that you are able to articulate that and share that, and I really appreciate it. Uh, and by the way, the most powerful we actually do have one female on our board, and she's actually the most powerful board member, and that would be my wife, Kim. <laughs> if you want to know who the real go. if you want to know who the real power player is, it's the one that when I sat down with dinner, she's like, hey. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? <laughs> oh. I want to meet her. I want to meet her. She's awesome. Uh, yeah, she's uh, she, she she definitely uh, lets me have it when uh, <laughs> when I need to. <laughs> so yeah, good, Michelle, Michelle. Congratulations on your career, on everything you've done, and for starting your third business now, which is not easy, um, and. The third one you've started really, really is is going to make a difference in people's lives. I mean, you've already placed twenty something mm-hmm. women on boards. I mean, that's really outstanding. It's you know, uh, you're making the world a better place while you're making money. Mm-hmm. And if you can, and if you can do those at the same time, you've 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 uh, you know you've reached the pinnacle of success. You can you can make money for yourself and you can help others. It's a beautiful thing. That's right. Well, what I figured out in this round is um, has been a huge shift personally, which is that I was focused on just getting myself into those bigger, more yep. successful roles. And now I'm focusing on all of them. That's and awesome. I am their champion. I'm their cheerleader. I just I think the world of them and I want to see them succeed and go out and accomplish the things and reach these pinnacles themselves. It's such an amazing feeling cool. to be in that role. And I feel so honored and um, I, I really feel lucky to be here, actually, to be doing this. It's an awesome thing you're doing. Congratulations. Really appreciate you being on the, you. Rider, on the Rider Flex podcast, Michelle. Thank you so much. I look, I look forward to meeting you in person soon. Okay, let's do that for sure. All right. All right. Take care, Michelle. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Steve. Bye-bye. The Rudderflex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviews. Our show can be heard just about anywhere these days, but you can visit RudderFlex.com and click on the podcast page to hear all the previous episodes and learn more about the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Contact us at the email address info at riderflex.com or 888-964-5876. Thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoy our show, please be sure to subscribe to our channel and like the episodes.